0: Hello, and welcome to The Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review at Chicago's Cafe Mustache the first Wednesday of every month, satirizing the dumb news of the month that was through hilarious op-end debate. This show was recorded on January 6th, 2015. Enjoy! Skewer 3 in January. Oh my god. Thank you all. Uh, I hope you all had lovely holidays, because everything else in December was fucking terrible. Yeah. Woo! Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so at the Skewer, monthly show, every first Wednesday, happy much, as 8 p.m., as you all know, because you are here. Yeah. We have the best writers and comedians in Chicago here to give uh, op-ed debate skewering, if you will, uh, the news of the month. Yeah. My name is Tom Harrison. I'll be your host, uh, but you're not here to hear. You're not here to listen to me. So I'm just going to introduce our first reader. Uh, this reader uh, helped with the skewer test show. She is a major part of why the skewer exists today. She has read it Guts and Glory, Punch Parlor, Ten by Nine, Chicago, and The Holly and the Ivy. Uh, please welcome Perry Karim.
2: governors and a majority of the United States House of Representatives have made huge efforts to block Syrian refugees from entering the United States. These courageous Americans took a stand because, in the words of Paul Ryan, we cannot and should not wait to act. Not when our national security is at stake. And he's right. We should not be allowing Syrian refugees into our borders. There are a lot of bad people over there. Trust me, I know. My dad was a refugee from Iraq back in 1976. He left because there were a lot of really terrible people over there. Now, I know what you're thinking. How can you support this as a child of a refugee? As an American? America, after all, was built on the backs of refugees. The Statue of Liberty welcomes them with open arms. Let me remind you that Ms. Liberty is a Roman goddess created by a French artist. Her hair, the color green that only happens when a blonde-headed woman exposes her hair to too much pool water.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Ms. Liberty is not a Syrian refugee. You see, there are holes in our refugee screening processes that make it way too easy for terrorists to get in. For example, did you know that most refugees have to be referred by either the UN High Commissioner on Refugees or a US Embassy in order to apply for refugee status. What that means is that refugees are handpicked by either an appointed US diplomat or the United Nations. And who is to say what their qualifications are? Are they good at deciding things? (laughs) What if they they pick the wrong people? Before this reading, I invited some people here to attend this event choosing each invitation by specific criteria. And I'll be damned if I even remember who I invited. (laughs) And there's at least one person here that I think I invited, but I can't for the life of me remember why. (laughs) Even when carefully thought out, people do make mistakes. The applicants that these appointed people refer are priority one on the refugee list. Priority two is whoever the president says is a priority group. And priority three are family members of someone who was a refugee that now legally lives in the United States. One and two are at the discretion of the president and his appointees. And the last priority are the family members of people chosen at the discretion of the president or his appointees. Does that seem like a good idea to you? Do you know how easy it is to get the attention of the president of the United States? (laughs) All you need is 100,000 signatures on a WhiteHouse.gov petition, and then boom,
3: Obama has to invite the terrorists in.
2: (laughs) Or get that guy from HONEY to take your picture, and then you've you've got the attention of Obama. (laughs) Once someone is referred under one of those three priority designations, they get help with their application. I have never gotten help with an application from the people who are deciding. (laughs) And then after you get help with your application, you go through an interview process. During the interview, which is not an adversarial interview, they stress this on their website, a trained interviewer determines if they meet the definition of a refugee. So let's go through that. According to U.S. law, a refugee is first someone who is located outside of the United States. (laughs) Well, that really narrows it down. I mean, that could literally be anywhere else besides where we are right now. Um, Could that be more lax? As a, as a criterion for deciding if you can come live in the greatest nation in the world.
1: <laughs>
2: and secondly, uh, that person has to be of a special humanitarian concern for the United States. I'm not sure what that even means, except that it kinda sounds like a loophole, doesn't it? Special humanitarian concern. And then third, this person has to demonstrate that they were persecuted or fear persecution due to race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. See, I have to question this one, because first of all, how do you even demonstrate that? That you were persecuted or fear persecution? I mean, isn't that just a matter of perspective? I mean, okay, so try this for for an example. Try posting about your race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group on Facebook and see if you aren't persecuted. This kind of thing happens to everyone, even
1: terrorists. (laughs) Fourth,
2: this person is not firmly resettled in another country. Now, I actually personally take issue with this. I I think that that's not a good criterion. America, as I said, is the greatest nation in the world. And if we want to poach some better refugees, by God, we should have them. I I think we should let the refugees decide if they want to be here. And lastly, this person has to be admissible to the United States. Again, loophole. In addition to the interview, there are pre- and post-interview background checks and assessments of credibility, which are run by the US Department of State, the UN, and worldwide intelligence agencies. These checks are run independently, and then there's an interagency check to make sure that all the info adds up across the board. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a conspiracy. I watched Making a Murderer last week, and <laughs> I know how conspiracies work. <laughs> when you've got the FBI and all the local police and the prosecutor involved, that's the perfect storm for evidence to be planted or to be overlooked. Are Interpol, the FBI, and the State Department the right people to be deciding whether these folks are terrorists or not? I just can't be sure. And then finally, once they've passed the interview and the background checks, they're granted admission to the United States once they can find a sponsor to help them transition and resettle. That's usually an NGO, but I'm sure they sell them on Craigslist too. The government even gives them money to cover relocation expenses. The feds call it a loan to be paid back in monthly installments starting six months after they come to America. I call it hard-earned taxpayer money. And it's interest-free, too, an interest-free loan. My student loans aren't interest-free. I studied liberal arts, and now I'm getting screwed by the liberal agenda. But I digress. On top of all this, the, the process typically takes two years. Two years, in my opinion, is both too fast and too slow. (laughs) Two years ago, we were already on iPhone 5. We're only on 6 now. Do you think the government can find a terrorist faster than Apple can make a new phone? I think it would take much longer to understand someone's true intent. It took me three years to figure out that my ex-boyfriend didn't want to get back together. (laughs) What I'm saying is it's hard to know if terror is in someone's heart. I mean, especially if they're giving you mixed messages, like, oh, America, I love you so much, but I'm still not ready to commit to a one country. (laughs) At the same time, two years is way too long. Things change a lot in two years. And I think refugees have to remember that. In two years, you could be in a totally different place than you are and in a totally different situation than you're in right now. Think for a minute. Where were you two years ago? According to my time hop, I, I was making questionable decisions on Netflix. Two years ago. Now I make really good decisions on Netflix. <laughs> Their selection has really improved and my tastes have actually really improved in the last two years. The point is, things change. Sometimes for the better. There's nothing more American than that DIY spirit. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, refugees. We can't let you in, but as Tom Petty said, somewhere, somehow somebody must have kicked you around. Some. (laughs) Who knows, maybe you were kidnapped, tied up, taken away and held for ransom. It don't really matter to me. Everybody's had to fight to be free. You see, you don't have to
1: live like a refugee. Thank
2: you.
0: Uh, Of the three topics that Perry uh, pitched to me, that was by far the best one, but I want to say that there was one that was about Bernie Sanders. And as a pseudo-intellectual effeminate white man, I just want you to understand how hard it is to tell someone else not to talk about Bernie Sanders. (laughs) I did that for you. You're welcome. Anyway, uh, our next reader, if I were to read all of your credits, uh, I'd be up here for about 15 minutes. She is a absurdly fantastic comic. She has recently uh, been named by one of the best comics in the city by the Chicago Reader. Uh, She's. When I asked her to be in the show, uh, I thought she wouldn't, but then she did. Uh, Anyway, Rebecca O'Neill.
4: Hey y'all. Tom, you just hyped me up a lot, and um, this is going to be a loosely formatted rant, so get ready to be underwhelmed. Okay, here we go. Um, Clap it up if you know what a food desert is. I heard a woo for food deserts. Odd choice, but all right. I like your enthusiasm. Uh, Food deserts don't exist up here on the north side. I say up here because I live on the south side. Spoiler alert, this city is very segregated. Um, I live like deep south side, though, like past the Mason-Dixon line, sub-equatorial south side, like I can't, it's a really long way from here, like into the red line where I'm assuming most of you guys have never been because I'm a racist. But something exciting is going on on the south side, I want to talk about it. There's a Whole Foods that just broke ground a couple days ago in Inglewood, which is a known food desert. Uh, and it's a lifetime south side, I'm like that's dope. Inglewood uh, is a, if you don't know what a food desert is, which you guys all seem to know. Um, it's a place, Inglewood um, for example, is an entire zip code, more than an entire zip code, where there are no grocery stores. Um, people cannot access whole, fresh foods and produce without uh, a bus trip or a car trip completely out of their neighborhood, so it's pretty messed up. Uh, That's really hilarious. Um, So, um, I'm gonna talk about that. Um, It's really, people don't really think about what it means to live in a food desert, they hear about it, it's abstract, but the way I kind of made it make sense to myself is I don't like putting on pants to walk 10 feet when my Grubhub arrives, so like, (laughs) Imagine every time you wanted to go get some new food that you didn't already have in your house, you got to put on long johns, you got to put on layers, you got to put on a hat and a coat, and you got to get on the bus because um, Englewood is 99% black and 40% uh, more than 40% below the poverty line. So a lot of people aren't driving over there. You got to get on the bus, and you got to make sure you do it um, before it gets too late because, in addition to being a food desert, a lot of areas on the south side are also public transportation deserts. Um, in terms of frequency of when the buses show up and like how the complete dirt, the trains from my house live by, by by, like 84th and Kedzie. It's five miles north to the Kedzie orange line and four miles east to uh, the 87th Street Red Line, so I'm 30 minutes away from the nearest train on public transportation, which a lot of people on the north side is like, that can happen, it can happen. So um, uh, so you gotta make sure you get on the bus before it's too late or you're not gonna get home with all those bags of groceries. So once you got your bags of groceries, you gotta annoy everybody on the bus, loading that shit in, they're like, hurry up, bitch. So that happens. Um, you gotta do all that. The alternative is like eat one of those sad brown bananas on the counter like a bodega or some shit. One with like an ugly mural on the outside gross. So you could do that or you could like eat completely processed foods which is how a lot of people uh, in underprivileged neighborhoods end up overweight and medically malnutrition at the same time which is impressive I gotta say. Um, But (laughs) it's really sad too. Uh, So this is really good that they're building this. Like Some of the shit that you see at corner stores um, my neighborhood is Uh, traditionally Irish Catholic but thanks to white flight no more white people live there. Um, So the store closest to my house is in the Ultra. The other store is like a corner store where all the foods have a million ingredients, none of which contain any actual food products. It's all like the breakfast blueberry muffin contains no blueberries but it does contain blue food coloring and like seven different types of sugar I can't pronounce. So that's like the options you have. So it's really good that I'm going to flip this over. I said loosely formatted. Here we go. Okay. So it's good that they're building this. Um, It took a long time, though. The alderman in that ward uh, went to one of these international grocery conventions, which sounds horrible, but she went there. um, And for every year, for almost 10 years, until this agreement was set, people didn't take her seriously, like people in the hood don't like avocados or some shit. Like People didn't think that it was a good idea to invest groceries into the murder capital. Fair enough. But um, she got it done, and... There's still a lot of pushback, and this is where it gets, this is a happy story about a food desert, but then there's been a lot of kind of nonsense along with it. Um, People who didn't think it was a good idea were like, how are people in the neighborhood going to afford to eat this shit? It's called whole paycheck, like it's not a joke, like whole foods cost a lot of money. So the city and like the federal government has given $11 million in subsidies just to get the place built. So that's already like people like this is not cool. Um, And then they gave another, I don't remember the exact number, millions of dollars in subsidies so that the prices at that Whole Foods could be low enough for the neighborhood people not to be priced out of shopping there because that's the whole point. Um, But those two points were hard won. Those were not in the original deal. So people in the neighborhood, the, their neighborhood association is called Rage, which I find great. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Resident Association of Greater England, one of my, fuck yeah. So um, Rage, Rage saw the initial deal and they were like, okay, we get this Whole Foods, but who is this supposed to help? Because there's no provisions that anyone in the neighborhood had to be guaranteed to be hired. There was no provision that the prices would be lower and people in Lincoln Park are struggling to buy Whole Foods on a regular basis. So they're like, who is this for? Is this a gentr- gentrification move so that Whole Foods can benefit from the lower prices and the lower bills in this neighborhood? Which, So by bringing that up, at first Whole Foods was like, no, oh, that's totally cool, we'll hire a couple people, and yeah, yeah, we'll do the subsidies. So those took months to even achieve. Um, more bad news. Um, <laughs> So wait, hold on. We gotta get to the next page. This is real chill and professional. Um, if you guys want to see me more, like do more bumbling comedy, I'll be hosting at Cole's across the street after this. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the next part I wrote down is okay. So people who said that the gentrification thing was not a valid argument against the Whole Foods cited a recent study that said that it's. This move is a step in the right direction in Chicago's current progress on uh, segregation, because we used to be the most segregated city in the country, and now we are number three. So yay for us. Um, And they're like, okay, this is good for Chicago. This is a part of what's happening right now. Fine print on that study they cited. Uh, the, The reason that Chicago is now less segregated is because... Of gentrification so it's some chicken or the egg shit going on with that argument Um, basically the census information is in the middle of witnessing people of color being pushed out of their neighborhoods because they're being priced out by gentrification so that's what that census information is reporting so argument I wish I could tell somebody who cared about this Uh, okay Um, other opponents said it will fail because people in that market aren't looking for this type of product Uh, Again, like black people don't like avocados. I love avocados, okay? I talk about avocados, my friends, I talk about it so much, my friends have started to believe that it's like a euphemism for something else, but it's just avocados, like I love them that much, so like fuck you people. Um, And so in a brilliant corporate idea to drum up excitement about vegetables, uh, they've sent out like emissaries into the neighborhood to like teach people about nutrition, and that failed Miserably. Um, people were like, yo, yo, fruits and vegetables, and the kids were like, no, okay. Um, so basically what it turned into, from what I can tell from the very exciting Rage Facebook page, is that um, a bunch of food snob y- yuppie dippy people came and tried to shame poor people for eating processed food in their like community outreach about nutrition. And it basically turned them into like a, a let them eat cake situation. They fundamentally misunderstood what the problem was. Like, it wasn't that people were like, we don't like vegetables. It's like they don't have access and they don't have options. And even if by some miracle, healthy food options were cheaper than shit food options, that assumes that the people who are buying these things have permanent residency, that they have gas to cook the foods, that they have microwave to cook even the bad shit. So it was like a let the meat cake situ- like let the meat free flax cake. But cake <laughs> <Kate> nonetheless, <knows laughs> like <laughs> they got good intentions. Okay, um I think I'm almost done. So we're gonna do this page. Okay. Um so people looked to the, there was a store that opened about two years ago in Detroit that was under similar circumstances. Like it was in a I mean, I don't know if there aren't shit parts of Detroit, but um, it was in a particularly shit part of Detroit. And uh, they didn't expect much. And in 20 months, the store met its 10-year sales goal. So people are thinking this one's going to be okay. And one really dope thing that I like is, you know all those big, I don't know how often you guys go to the South Side, but um, this is the, they have these up here, like the horrible bacon lots of like, used condoms and syringes and shit. Like These <laughs> urban farmers like reclaimed a lot of those plots and they're farming, and Whole Foods is agreed to partner with a lot of the Inglewood farm plots and buy their food and sell the food back to the community at a profit to the farmer. So that's pretty dope. Yeah. Um, and the last part that I'm super excited about, um, uh, this is not even funny, I'm just jazzed. Whole Foods, in, agree, in a, um, addition to agreeing to hire a percentage of people who live in the neighborhood to work at the Whole Foods, have also agreed to hire people with criminal records. And I know yeah. they, they didn't, yeah. thank you, they didn't do that at first, but um, they realize there's a sort of Ferguson situation happening in Inglewood where the cops are the, the neighborhood is ninety-nine percent black, the cop force is over seventy percent white. The demographics don't match up and there's a lot of profiling, a lot of trumped up charges. Like, I open air smoke weed in front of Coles and nobody gives a fuck, right? But if I were to do that by where I live or in Englewood, for an example, there are people who have spent hard time in jail for a mound of weed i throw on the ground in front of a cop over here. So, like, a lot, the large percent of the population has had their lives ruined for criminal charges that you guys wouldn't bat an eye for. So I think it's really big and awesome of them to hire those people. Um, and the last part, I've been up here moralizing a whole bunch, but my boyfriend does work for Whole Foods. And I live by that place so I'm gonna use this discount and those like subsidies and it's gonna be like Aldi price Whole Foods Like I'm a horrible, horrible <laughs> opportunity to so, I'm gonna go back on the other side
0: God, Whole Foods is way nicer than I thought they were. <laughs> Me and uh, my friend and I used to work in Evanston, and every day we'd go to the nearby Whole Foods, which did not have subsidies. It had up- the opposite. They raised the price. Upsidies. 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 We, would, we would steal like a full glass of the juice samples, and I'm not saying that I was like fighting the bourgeois patriarchy, but I wasn't not fighting the, pa- the <laughs> bourgeois patriarchy. Anyway, our, uh, our next performer uh, was in the first skewer, uh, a last minute, literally last minute replacement for Perry when she couldn't make it that day due to illness, and he lit the shit on fire. The stage was on fire for real. It's not real, it's metaphor. Um, he has been in the caffeine theater, uh, which is now dead, the immediacy theater project, which is also now dead, uh, <laughs> the rough, rough house, which is not dead. Still alive and is also currently a member at the uh, living room at stage 773 and performs at Lifeline Theater's Filet of Solo this month. Uh, Ian Randall.
5: Thank you. Um, oh shit, I spilled absinthe all over my thing. Um, <laughs> uh, a dollar for every time you've had to say that, right? Um, <laughs> I have drunkenly and soberly grumbled loud enough about the failings of Ventra to make otherwise stoic CTA attendants argue with me. (laughs) When someone has seen me futzing with the machine or complaining to a friend, I have uttered near screeds to the unfortunate city worker regarding how the stupid thick plastic cards are somehow easier to lose than the nano-thin paper ones (laughs) we used to have, the overhaul of the system was uh, fundamentally unnecessarily and dumb, and how the added 50-cent cost of the single-ride tickets are a way of increasing the fare without explicitly saying that they're doing so. And before I get the part about how I once went nearly two weeks on a one-week pass and then had to eventually cough up a surprisingly unsurprising amount of money to write my card on the balance, uh, I have realized two key things. One, the attendant has, if not physically, mentally, walked away from me. Uh, And two, I am a dick. Uh, Even if I am justifiably annoyed about the issue, my behavior is dumb. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going to now define acting like a jackass to the point of discrediting yourself even when logically offended that's now called a splaining, based on the ram Emanuel's ass hattery when responding to a so fucking softball it should have come with a corporate sponsored jersey question from Politico's Mike Allen now for those of you who do not consume videos that make you angry enough to have an aneurysm when you're supposed to be going to sleep Here's a rundown of the most recent one. Journalist Mike Allen, Politico's younger version of the Six Flags old man mascot, (laughs) asked Rom about an upcoming trip to Cuba. Ron gets the look in his eye that he would probably guess if you asked him if he can grand jeté like he used to. Uh, and then unloads about how his trip it was private knowledge and that this affects his family and that Mr. More Flags More Fun in 20 years shouldn't have said anything about it and even cuts him off when he tries to apologize. The interview ends, Facebook's get something to share, viral things, viral ties, upvote, etc., etc. Venga Boys, music, Wow. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Haha, look at Angry Mayor, the angry. I don't like him. Wouldn't it be great if DeVille would have gotten elected? He would have gone to Cuba too, but he would have brought us back good rum. Save people like myself. <laughs> uh, who are just looking for the next rage-dump inspiration before turning off to the next sick-piece unhappy meal to wash down with absinthe and loathing. <laughs> and Rahm has potentially done this before. Uh, you can remember at the time that he was accused of men- yelling at a mental health care advocate who lost her son to gunfire and was disrupted a meeting to air grievances about the consolidation and closure of mental health care clinics in the city. According to the mayor's office, he was respectful in a (laughs) closed-door meeting with the advocate and did not in any way, shape, or form yell, You will respect me! You will respect me! You will respect me! (laughs) Sidebar, according to officials from my office... I had witty bon mots about Ventra when talking to the aforementioned CTA station workers and did not in any way, shape, or form devolve into a slurry of words resembling grumble Ventra, grumble asshole machines, grumble grumble 50 cents grumble. (laughs) But by initially sending this latest outburst into the bins of shitty things our mayor has done I at least skipped over several explanations for his emanuel explaining found from watching the entire interview. Uh, here they are in increasing order of probability. Least probable, most fun. <laughs> Mayor Emanuel is an ancient monster from Modoc folklore. <laughs> Ron said and did many things that were not quite, well, human-ish during the interview. In the full 50-minute interview that probably most people haven't watched, uh, he kept saying that he was not heartless. Uh, He repeated that in a way that it seemed a bit weird. (laughs) He also, at one point... In a manner so awkward, it looks like he'd never winked before. Winked? <laughs> uh, it, but it, like he felt compelled to do so in order to fit to the, the society around him. And this took me back to my days of binging on scholastic books, something that a lot of kids in shut-down schools can't do. Oh,
1: oh yeah. Um,
5: in Bruce Govel's Book of Monsters, there was a retelling of a story of the Kokomilalaya, uh, the Bone Man, a giant skeleton with vaguely human traits, uh, who drank up rivers and hid his heart in his pinky finger so <laughs> enemies couldn't stab it and kill him. Ron may be the much, much shorter cousin of this monster and realized that he protested too much with his not heartless comments and decided to manual explain in order to distract from these earlier statements. Uh, his missing middle fingertip might actually be from an earlier attempt to kill him. (laughs) More probable, less fun than the monster theory. Mayor Emanuel is afraid of the police. Now, a majority of the interview was spent talking about Laquan McDonald, the subsequent protests, and an ongoing investigation of the situation by the federal government. However... Rom refused to comment on any of the allegations that Chicago police officers tampered with footage from a nearby Burger King, and also refused to state that he felt anyone else acted inappropriately. Instead, he focused on discussing that he believed in community policing, and wanted to make sure that officers saw children not as a problem and a risk, but as a student, an athlete, or an artist. Now, the mayor seemed apprehensive about saying anything negative about the police and how they conduct themselves within the city. Maybe, just maybe, Rom was worried that when Mike Allen brought up the vacation destination, the police act potentially maintain a black site interrogation space in Havana, and his own children might be seen as problems and risks and might therefore be shot by Chicago police officers, thereby <laughs> triggering his need to a plane to get her out of the situation.
1: <laughs>
5: Most probable, least enjoyable. Rom is an arrogant butthole who flips out easily when people talk anything that connects his family, was annoyed by earlier question, and acted like a dick at his first quasi-credible opportunity to do so. Ron has flipped shit like a gymnast in a gold medal shit-flipping-floor routine when asked about his children's school selection private, no major focus on standardized testing, Uh, and he's made such a show of wanting privacy regarding his family that it should be picked up by the WGN, and when already agitated by questions regarding issues that he also wanted to keep private, responses to police violence and investigations, conversations with Hillary Clinton and any uh, other former or current presidents, repeated questions regarding why he didn't watch the Laquan McDonald video before it was made public via judicial order, this was just the Jenga move to knock down his tower of arrogant, maybe not human but tiny giant skeleton creature composure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and to paraphrase the poem "The Shoelace" by Charles Bukowski, it is not the po- white police officer shooting a black teenager sixteen times, but the question about an upcoming trip that sends a jerk into a manual explaining. <laughs> And I kind of understand the last potential reason for the outburst. I mean, if Ron cares about his family and their privacy, then he would be mad if that was ava- violated. I mean, like, I care about the CTA, and I'm mad about things that harm it. But the root problem is that both of us are mad about the wrong thing. As, as mildly, justifiably angry as I and others might be about Ventress laws, I and others need to thousands of times be more angry about systematic in, iniquities and racism within schooling and budgetary allocations, the torture and general mistreatment of protesters, suspects, and others in police c- custody, tacit approval of police perjury by the district attorney's office, and you know all the other shit. And and, and as angry as Ron seemed about his trip being spotlighted, I hoped he would be a mega fuck ton more pissed about these same goddamn things. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ian, thank you. Thank you for educating me about Ron Emanuel. I know I should, as a Chicago citizen, uh, know about him. But I'm extremely ignorant, and uh, my conception of Chicago <laughs> politics is basically I just connect the people with the West Wing characters that I think they're most like. I tricked you, I've never even seen the West Wing. <laughs> I'm extremely ignorant. Anyway, our next reader is a uh, writer for the Whiskey Journal and Reductress and XL Vane, and uh, she's very funny. I'm glad to uh, announce Kelly Hack. <laughs>
3: In elementary school, I had a, a Bill Cosby sweatshirt, and I oh yeah, it's really a trigger warning, you guys. Um, so I loved this sweatshirt. I made it myself. I, if you can imagine me as a, just a, a a white suburb Midwestern girl, just sitting in front of the TV uh, with a plain gray paint sweatshirt and puffy paint just like coloring my goddamn heart out to make this Bill Cosby sweatshirt so perfect. And I wore it all the time. Um, off to the side while I would watch TV, I would, uh, I would keep a tally of uh, how many times I saw female performers uh, in commercial breaks. And so I could report back to my mom just, like, how underrated women were and how underappreciated and thereby disrespected in the world as a whole because I was just a very fun, fancy, free child. This just gives you, like, a little insight into who I am and still am. I just, I love painting and very funny men who become very disappointing. And I am just a a big-time feminist, you guys. So... Uh, looking back on that, with all the recent developments, uh, it's just, I'm not super proud to tell you guys I wore this sweatshirt all the time, all the time. Um, I had my first kiss in this sweatshirt in the park, in the neighborhood. It was a consensual kiss. You guys, very consensual. It's fine. But we all know why it was unsettling. Like Bill Cosby is like a big time rapist, right? We're all on board with that. Like he raped a bunch of women, you guys. Like a bunch, like over like 50 women, I think. Which it's like that's like an NFL roster. Like Bill Cosby was like on the field like the raping players. that just what? Oh, no, no sports, you guys. Are, you know, I thought I'd get men to listen to rape. But, right. um, but, like, what's even more unsettling it, um, in December, Bill Cosby was, like, oh, you guys, but, like, last year I went blind, so, like, there's no way I could have raped these women, like, 30 years ago, you know? <laughs> um, like, and he just assumed we all, like, forgot how timelines worked, and that... Uh, And that also like there's like some blind code where blind men can't or women can't drug and rape Um, And nothing against blind people at all unless you are a blind rapist then fuck you (laughs) But like mainly just like fuck men you guys I know like hashtag not all men or whatever but (laughs) We all know like most of you are scumbags but there's an NYC attorney, right? And this NYC attorney, he was like, you guys, don't worry. It's a bullshit defense. The jury's never going to buy it. But then why would Cosby even, like, propose this idea? Well, I'll tell you why. So last month in December, um, there's a case where a Saudi millionaire claimed he did not rape a teenage girl. Uh, but rather, he uh, he tripped and uh, his penis just... Fell into her vagina. Um, So it's just like I tripped and I fell into my Bill Cosby sweatshirt like every day of fifth grade. (laughs) That's like the excuse I'm going to use if there's ever a photo of that that comes like on social media. But mainly because I was just like a chubby kid, so I'm not like super pleased. I was a goddamn great artist, so it was a good painting. Like I'm proud of that. Um, So here's what happened though. So two girls were out at the club. Um, There's an 18-year-old and a 24-year-old. And they went home with this Saudi millionaire. Like, the 24-year-old, like, knew the guy, like, knew the millionaire. Uh, so they go back, and they have like, consensual sex. Like, it's totally legit, you guys. But then, so, <laughs> um, but meanwhile, like, the 18-year-old, she's, like, passed out on the couch in his living room. So... According to this Saudi millionaire, what happened was, like, he was done, like, having sex or whatever, and he, like, goes out into the living room to get a glass of water, and he sees this girl just, like, sleeping really awkwardly, you know, like how, like, we girls sleep, like, just without dicks inside of us, just very awkward, Um, so, he was like, um, he says, he was like, oh, I was gonna... I went to, like, wake her up and, like, change her position and, like, give her, like, a T-shirt. Um, but when I went to do that, I she, like, pulled me down onto her. And I, like, I lost my balance. And, and my 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 penis slipped into her. And then, oh, oops. It was just an accident, you guys. I tripped. I fell. It was, like, the old, like, trip and penis defense was born. So. Um, and, like, despite what, like, all the evidence claims, this is not... What happened? But he used other defenses that were equally as ludicrous. Like he, when the rape kit came back that his like semen was on her, he was like, "Oh, I have cum on my hands like all the time. (laughs) It's (laughs) like (laughs) it's no big deal. Like he's a big cum monster that just leaves DNA everywhere." And then he... I have a sister like we all don't know about the Duggars <laughs> like, that oh but, like that's not a defense um, and then when asked like why his penis was even out of his pants he was like but it's I own this home my penis is allowed to move out and about Like <laughs> so it's just very and then at the end to appeal to the jury he was like you guys I'm fragile and like, and he's like I would never I would never and so to a normal person like this seems like oh like none of these defenses are valid at all but to like a like a london jury you know it takes them about 30 minutes and they're like mm, okay like <laughs> we believe you <yeah. laughs> like this is London, you guys. Like, they have gun control. They have, like, original great programming on television. They gave us, like, Daniel Craig. It's, like, supposed to be, like, a very rational, reasonable people. But it was, like, a rerun of, like, Mike and Molly, and they're, like, this guy's legit. Like, if you think about it, aren't we all just, like, wandering penises, just clumsily going into the He's fine.
1: <laughs>
3: but so because of like this one just like clumsy dick millionaire who like got up in london like bill cosby's like mm, I'm blind you guys <laughs> <I just>, like <laughs> believe me this is going to be great um, so this is like we are entering like a brave new world of just like rape excuses and defenses and accusations so we have to it's no longer like oh what was she wearing and did she have a lot to drink but it's like here i am a lot of defenses, or many that could potentially happen. It's like, oh my, my penis was sleep sexing, or yeah. um, I, I have a mother, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I know women. Or it's just like, um, I wear glasses to drive. I'm delicate. I can't. I can't. <laughs> <hate a woman. laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> so all that to say. They're still trying to be victims, and, um, yeah, there's no excuse for any of that.
0: Oh, this, is, this is when I make a little joke based on what you said, and uh, I don't really have a career to ruin, uh, but I won't anyway. So our last op-ed is going to be uh, from the host of the great show and podcast, We Still Like You, also a Whiskey Journal writer along with Callie. And he has performed stand-up at the Hell Yes Fest and New York Comedy Festival. Yes, I read that correctly. Uh, Welcome uh, Tyler Snodgrass, everybody. Hello. Tyler
6: could not be here. I'm uh, here instead. (laughs) Let me get to it before I introduce myself. In early December, my colleague, Dalene Bowden, got fired from our school in Pocatello, Idaho, school district for giving away a school lunch to a hungry student who didn't have any money. The student was just 12 years old, and the cost of the lunch was $1.70 a (laughs) <laughs> the story broke on the Facebook and all of a sudden she had this petition started in support of her action and a movement to get her unfired. Over 38,000 people signed the petition and the news story went viral. Daileen has now been offered her job at the school. My name is Belinda Montgomery Gooch and I too am a lunch lady. And I'm here to tell you that this whole situation is hog shit, okay? Do I think Eileen should have been fired? I don't know. We all break the rules. I've been at this school for 25 long years. I've
7: broken rules.
6: I smoke in the bathroom. I sell cigarettes to emo kids. I wear oversized underwear so I can fit stolen Little Debbie oatmeal cream pie cupcakes into them. I have sabotaged student elections because they threatened to install more vending machines. (laughs) I have blown a janitor in the broom closet and he did not work at that school. (laughs) So yeah, I broke a couple rules. (laughs) But, Aileen, you gotta be smart about it. If you... Look, you can't go around getting caught giving some Ron Weasley-Oliver-Twist broke-ass welfare fuckface free chicken nuggets. (laughs) You gotta be smarter than that. You can't just be giving away lunches all willy-nilly in our school with the administrators breathing down our necks. No way! You're gonna get busted. There are rats everywhere. Also, people will snitch on you. Some people say... Give the ankle biters a free lunch. Lots of kids get free lunch, and boy, howdy, is that the case. Here's some facts. Since 2012, over 30 million students every day get their lunch for free through the National School Lunch Program, which allows children of low-income families to eat free and reduced lunches at their public schools every single day. Over 30 million students. That number is way too high. (laughs) ZERO STUDENTS SHOULD BE GETTING FREE LUNCHES! We are... They don't deserve our hard scoop Sloppy Joes for free! That's not an easy job, and sometimes we get creative! I put salsa on that Sloppy Joe, it's a sloppy Jose! Is that racist? Not where I'm from. I'm a lady, alright. But I for one thinks that... I think that kids should be able able to provide for themselves. That kid who got free lunch, if things aren't going her way, she should be able to pull herself up from her bootstraps. Just kidding, she can't afford shoes, but you get it. (laughs) Look, I'm a Christian woman. There's not much else to be in Pocatello, Idaho. We work. We go to church to praise our merciful and gracious Lord and Savior. And then we ridicule poor people for the circumstances from which they cannot escape. It's like what they say in the Bible. If you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. If you teach a man to fish, he didn't learn it at our school. (laughs) Ha ha! The education is very bad. (laughs) Yeah. Also, don't eat the fish. If we are serving fish, it ain't fish, okay? Honestly, I don't know why these kids want this lunch, anyways. I'm perpetually disgusted by what shows up in our trays, ladles, buckets, the whole thing. In this petition to get Daleen back, one lady wrote lunchroom policy should prioritize kindness and making sure kids receive nutritious lunch so they can be ready to learn. First off, kids are never ready to learn. They're idiots. I once saw a student pierce his ear with a mechanical pencil. I once heard a girl say to her friend, gonorrhea runs in my family. Like, they're idiots. I've met teenagers,
1: future adults, with names like Destiny, Deacon, and Colby. Those names
6: are so dumb, their brains don't stand a chance. If I tried to serve some of these kids' brains for lunch, the students who tried to eat them would starve to death. But forget the fact that every Idaho school is filled with a thousand little Stephen Averys. Forget that for a second. This lady mentioned nutrition, nutrition. We classify pink slime as meat and pizza as a vegetable. (laughs) I don't eat lunch at school. I starve myself every day, and then when I get home, I eat stolen Little Debbie cupcakes out of my panties. (laughs) Alright, I can feel the vibe in the room. (laughs) You think I'm a terrible person because I'm saying all this? You think I'm a monster, and not just because of the webbed toes? I get it. (laughs) Melinda Montgomery Gooch is a good woman! And you might be thinking, now that I've said my full name again, Belinda, your name is beautiful. (laughs) Montgomery Gooch. Is that hyphenated? Did you marry a Gooch? (laughs) No, 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 no. Montgomery is my middle name. As a child, my parents called me Monty. (laughs) In college, I went by B Gooch. Yeah, I went to college. I got a bunch of degrees in science and shit. But I'm a woman in Pocatello, Idaho, so I gave up on my passions and started going by my full-bodied and beautiful full name to serve food because I'm a Christian woman. (laughs) But our school put out an official statement after the holidays, offering St. Dailene her job back, saying it was in the spirit of the holidays. You know it's one of those classic Christmas gifts. Gold, frankincense, and your shitty job back. (laughs) Daylene is thrilled, over the moon, and so are a bunch of the social media heroes who typed in all caps on her behalf. (laughs) Daylene is now the hippest lunch lady in town, in all of Pocatello, Idaho. (laughs) After helping a charity case make her a charity case. That shit is contagious. She's kind of got a hot head now, so while a lot of people think this is a happy ending because she got a petition and a GoFundMe, as a lunch lady who worked for five years to afford a refurbished iPad Mini 2 to redo this, <laughs> I say, hey, Daylene, go fund yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Woo!
0: Uh, my high school lunchroom, I remember uh, I would get every day the cheese sticks, and uh, I would hope against hope. That they would still be hot and there'd be a little burst of grease into my mouth as I, uh, and I took the first bite. And um, somehow I'm alive. <laughs> uh, before I move on, I just want to thank Cafe Mustache for uh, being in the venue. Are they good but They're like really nice to me. Like more than necessary. It's great. Um, also, if you haven't pitched in five dollars when you were coming in, all the all of the donations go to the writers because uh, we believe that what they're doing is worth something. So, I mean, if you don't want to pitch in any money, that's fine. But just know that you're saying to everyone who comes up, uh, I think your time is worthless. <laughs> Anyway, so the next part of the show is the debate. Not all uh, news topic can be solved but Just Not Bad. We have to have two motherfuckers up here and decide for real. So uh, let's welcome the debate ants. Uh, first is a uh, good friend of mine. He is a writer and editor of No Assholes Literary Magazine. Uh, please welcome Chris Wright. Woo! What? And who's this? Who's the who's gonna fight him? Huh? Huh? It's his brother! What?! What?! what? Dan Wright, get up here! <clears throat> Amazingly, I've seen doubles. Two rights, Twice the right. Whoa! Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> so what you two will be discussing is who is the greatest American hero of 2015? Chris Wright, who will you be arguing for? I will be arguing for the affluenza
8: teen, Ethan Couch.
0: Woo! <laughs> Greatest American. Woo! Uh, Dan, who are you going to be arguing for? Mr. Fama Bro, Martin Screlly. Let's do it
5: up for you. Yay!
0: Martin. So the way this is going to work, they're both going to have three minutes to present prepared opening arguments. Then, they're going to have to answer questions I wrote down on this little paper. they have never seen them before. You're going to have to come up with answers on the fly. They better not be bad. <laughs> <laughs> then, they're going to have three minutes to prepare closing statements. And then it's going to be up to you folks, you fine, beautiful people, to decide who the winner is. So let's just get it going. Chris, kick it off. All right.
8: Alright, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we'll see that Ethan Couch is not only the greatest American hero of 2015, someone who embodies American values, but is a delicate figure worthy of our praise and pity for alerting us to the illness known as affluenza. As the number of things to be outraged about in the United States multiplies daily, let me refresh our collective memory about Ethan Couch, an 18-year-old man that America forgot that we hated back in 2013 when he was on trial for killing four people while drunk driving until only a few weeks ago. And in true 21st century fashion, the police were informed via a Twitter video that Couch was at a party, drinking and playing beer pong, thus violating his parole. He and his mother then had a going-away party for themselves, changed their appearances, and went to an expensive beach condo in Mexico to avoid the police. They were caught, again, in American fashion when Ethan Couch used his cell phone to order a pizza from Domino's. In Mexico, <laughs> of all places, he ordered Domino's pizza, and the police traced the call. And now he's been caught by Mexican authorities and is waiting in prison to be deported. Back in 2013, an in an extremely American crime, Couch pled guilty to stealing a case of beer from Walmart,
1: <laughs> drinking
8: it while underage, being three times over the legal blood-alcohol limit while driving, and being on Valium when he collided with multiple vehicles in a crash that left four people dead and two other people permanently disabled. That is, we all hated Couch until his lawyers explained that all of us, to all of us that Couch was actually a victim, inflicted with a debilitating, hereditary illness, with his family's wealth which made him poor Ethan, unable to know the difference between right and wrong. His family's wealth was so immense that it prevents his brain, it actually numbs him, from activating the lobe that feels guilt or responsibility. That's science. (laughs) And from an early age, as he grew up in a state that loves freedom the most, Texas, Couch knew that he had this debilitating illness. At 13, he drove one of his family's cars to a private school he attended, and when the principal questioned the judgment of Couch's father for letting him do this, Couch's father threatened to buy the school. (laughs) And when this actually didn't happen, he just changed to a different elite institution. And at 15, Couch was caught in a parking lot drinking with a passed-out, naked 14-year-old girl beside him. And now, after only receiving probation after killing four people, including a youth master, a crime which would have given any of the rest of us 20 years at least, Couch's assholery has alerted us that no matter how badly you screw up in the United States, if you are wealthy and white... You never get to know what it feels like to have repercussions. Instead of being responsible for your actions, your wealth is responsible. Ethan Couch is a true hero for alerting us to the disease affluenza, which is the absolute breaking point in absurdity for a lot of us. And because of him, more and more people are calling out rich people, like Martin Skrelly's bullshit. Chris.
0: V- very good. Dan, <laughs> your rebuttal. Well, I just want to thank you for the introduction. My name is Daniel
7: Wright, and I will be arguing that Mr. Farmer Grow Martin Scully is in fact the greatest American of 2015. First off, in order to determine who is the greatest American of 2015, we need to define what it means to be a great American. A great American needs to embody the tru- truisms that make America and Americans exceptional. Martin Sprelly is the classic story that can only happen in the U.S., a story of the son of two immigrant janitors who, through hard work and determination, pulled himself up by the proverbial and ubiquitously used tonight bootstraps (laughs) to excel in school and forge his own path. He skipped grades and left school early at age 17, for he had obtained an internship with a hedge fund, a glorious U.S. corporation, as well as went on to graduate with a bachelor's in business administration. Ultimately he rose through the ranks of society to become a multimillionaire. something that could not have been done outside this great land of ours. <laughs> Before becoming the infamous farmer bro, Mr. Screlly started and closed multiple businesses with funny names like Aaliyah, MSMB, Retrofin, and Turing. He is a man with a true American entrepreneurial spirit. Utilizing the latest technologies such as the Twitters and the Interwebs, he was able to make profits from the hardships of other people's and company and companies. He is a modern-day robber baron and like his 19th-century counterparts, he has used philanthropy to cover up his excesses. Shkreli used, took the profits from screwing people out of affordable health care to donate to his alma mater provide support for Albanians, and support local artists like the Wu-Tang Clan. (laughs) (laughs) This philanthropy falls in line with a mantra of this country. First and foremost, make a crap load of money, and then do whatever the hell you want. No one questions the overall importance of Americans like Carnegie, Vanderbilt, and Rockefeller to the vision of America in the late 1800s, and no one need question how Martin Shkreli represents the new, revitalized, 21st century vision of America. Outside his philanthropy, Skreli is your everyday American. He plays chess. He has a guitar. Yes, he might even swipe right and go on a Tinder date with us. <laughs> he even livestreams himself honing noobs and doing most of these aforementioned activities. He takes time out of his obviously busy schedule of scheming to give you investing t- advice. And just like your American libertarian father, it doesn't matter whether you asked for it or not.
4: And also, like your
7: libertarian father, believes in the market that is the end-all be-all to our existence, except when he manipulates it. Uh, Finally, Mr. Shkreli is a uniter and a leader. Mr. Shkreli has gotten calls from not only Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders that they disapprove of his actions, but the Trump as well. <laughs> By his sheer douchebaggery, he has brought people who are polar opposites together in harmonious union. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, because of his background story, entrepreneurship and philanthropy, ordinary Americanness, and ability to unite us all, Mr. Scrawley has proven himself to be, without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest American of 2015. Mm.
0: Yeah. These rife boys can't get enough of them. Anyway, so first question is going to be uh for who's eh, gonna be it's gonna be for you, Dan. So Ethan Couch, he has directly killed four people. By raising the price of a life-saving drug, Martin Schkelly has at best indirectly killed people. How do you justify his being such a pussy?
7: <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, great news is not defined by just how many
1: people you killed. Yes,
7: yes, yes, like directly. Let's be honest here. Indirectly, he has done wonders in killing so, so, so many more people. I would venture very easily to say that he is not a pussy. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that, obviously, but the fact of the matter is, whether or not you indirectly kill, you know, millions per chance versus four, I mean, come on,
0: that's a no-brainer. Mm. Chris, you, what's your rebuttal? That was, that was on fire uh,
8: My rebuttal is that while both Martin and Ethan are both young millennial types uh, that Ethan is, is much, much younger and because he has not yet received any consequences for any of his actions he is, his path is still unlimited we have no idea what kind of assholery he will get into next because he still hasn't received any kind of punishment at all
0: That actually segue into my next question. Uh, Some are saying that he's peaked too early. What's he going to do to stop himself?
8: (laughs) You know what? Uh, I think it speaks for itself that his American lawyers then hired a Mexican attorney who then argued that uh, Ethan's human rights are being violated if he is deported from Mexico. So this is an ongoing story. Ethan is a story that just keeps giving and giving and giving, I must say. Uh, I, I will say that Ethan Couch, uh, we, we have no idea what depths he will sink to next. Um, killing four people is just the very tip of the iceberg, as we can see. He's not even older than an N64 yet. He was born in 1997. So, uh,
0: Dan, you mentioned that Martin Schelley owns the one-of-a-kind Wu-Tang Clan album of Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, which he is keeping to himself. How do you justify that when we all know Wu-Tang is for the children. <laughs> first of all, I'd just
7: love to say that cash rules everything around maybe, for you to get the money. But still,
1: he knows that
7: to be the ultimate truism because there is no sense in sharing it with the children. He is waiting for Bill Murray to steal the album back. He is doing, and what is more
0: American than Bill Murray? i ask you this. Chris, Martin Schkelly is a virtuoso at interacting directly with his public through social media. Ethan Couch, he's had some social media fracas, but he isn't really uh, directly interacting with his public. Uh, How how do you justify that shortcoming?
8: I say that Ethan really embodies everything about what it means to be great in America, about uh, not earning your wealth at all, but really inheriting it from your wealthy parents. Um, Inheriting affluenza and alerting all of us to the dangers of what it means to be wealthy and young and white and male in the United (laughs) States, which is a problem we should all be concerned about. Uh, Americans care so much about these things. And Martin Screlly might have earned his money, but Ethan Couch uh, just inherited this terrible disorder without even asking for
0: it. I mean, we should have so much pity for this man. Two more questions that I want you both to quickly answer. One, Ethan Couch and Martin Shkreli are stars of a buddy road trip comedy. What does your dude do to earn the grudging respect and eventual friendship of the other?
8: I think Ethan Couch finds the perfect uh, hat for Martin to wear backwards while he's live blogging the road trip between the two. of them while they listen and sing along to Cash Rules Everything Around Me together.
7: <laughs> well, since Ethan Couch is obviously used to getting things paid for him, like, obviously Martin Scully would go out and buy himself, like, for Ethan and himself lots and lots of beer. His favorite thing in the world. Just oodles and oodles and oodles of that. As well as very, very expensive tea, as we know that Martin Scully the other day went out and bought himself $120 worth of tea, one cup. For just one cup. It's very American. I love very
0: American. <laughs> okay, last question for both of you. Um, I saw a Facebook picture where both of you were posing with a cute little bunny. Um, I want to know about the bunny. Uh, wh- wh- who of you does the bunny love more?
8: Oh, probably. I will admit, probably Dan because Dan takes Philip the bunny on other bu- bunny dates. Yes, so. very true. Although i had limited contact with the bunny, although the bunny is very cute and enjoys a nice carrot from me now and then.
0: <laughs> Dan, closing statements. Closing statements. All right, I got. Well,
1: well, well.
7: So in the end, the choice you have to make is between that of a child running away to Mexico. Mexico. What God-loving American would find themselves in Mexico? <laughs> and an American doing what he believes in. Screlly is working, obviously, to improve the lives of sick Americans, while Couch, like his name, just kind of sits there. Ooh. The, co- <laughs> the dichotomy is that of a son of immigrants and the son of neglectful parents. A man who is a name made for himself, and that of a kid who hasn't done jack shit. We are distinguishing an American that, bought, that in embodies the ideals of a country that anyone can make it versus an American of strip club goers and spoiled brats who haven't even voted yet. What it ultimately boils down to is what defines greatness. Greatness must be bold, fiery, and bordering on insanity. Not accidental, lazy, and apathetic, kind of like our friend E. Couch, The entrepreneur going out of his way to kill many people through price gouging. Or the child who
3: accidentally killed people. His lawyers might have been bold in using
7: affluenza, but it's pretty damn clear that the kid could have not have thought it up himself. Instead, you need to vote for Martin Screlly as the greatest American hero of 2015. A man who, while on trial, was found winking to family members, confident in his ability to <laughs> use to succeed using money in a rigged political system. So vote for in favor of Screlly. He's no accident. He's the embodiment of greatness, that is, the United States of America.
0: Mm.
8: (laughs) A sick young man is suffering in a Mexican prison tonight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They
8: only have tap water. His jail cell has no throw pillows or a television. It doesn't even have Wi-Fi to ease his pain. This sick millennial, as I said, no older than an N64, is suffering from a numbness in the guilt and remorse portions of his brain. And at 18, Couch is again a victim of his horrible disease, affluenza. The only kind of consequence his wealth allowed him to get was probation, instead of the 20 years in prison anyone else would have received. After that, Couch knew that no matter what he did, he wouldn't be able to experience any kind of consequence for his actions at all. So he took things to the next level and got a second country involved. <laughs> people saying, keep saying that poor Ethan Couch fled to Mexico or is a fugitive, but in fact he's escaping the United States, not fleeing. Couch is running away from a legal system that treats rich people like him differently than everyone else. <laughs> other wealthy people like Martin Shkreli only suffer consequences when they do things that harm other rich people. Shkreli wasn't arrested for his actions that everyone was mad about, but because of illegal stock trades that affected the pocketbooks of other rich people. So if Couch really wanted to be punished for his actions, he should have gone after other rich people instead of people suffering, like us, for middle class (laughs) disorder. (laughs) While both Shkreli and Couch suffer from influenza, Couch got people talking about it first, and now people can see it everywhere. We should crown Ethan Couch the greatest American hero of 2015 because only in America could this disease exist, where money can buy you immense influence and freedom, and then you can blame it for all of your problems at the same time. (laughs) We can see that we are a country where if you have a lot of money, you can do pretty much anything you want. Americans place tremendous value on people who, like Couch, are suffering from too many options, and too much privilege, and too much money. Rich white males can do pretty much anything. They can kill a beloved lion in a foreign country. They can be taken into police custody alive. (laughs) Take over federal land with guns and not be called terrorists. They can call Mexican immigrants rapists while running for president of the United States. They never truly deal with any kind of responsibility at all. Which is why tonight I not only propose that we crown sick poor Ethan Couch, the greatest American hero of 2015, I'm excited to announce to all of you that I am a way to combat this horrendous disease. I'm starting a foundation called Rich People Should Suffer Consequences Too Fund. It's sort of like Make-A-Wish Foundation, but all the money really goes into my bank account and it covers my rent, so that's kind of like making my wishes come true on a month-to-month basis, so. uh. Really, I suffer from a sickness called part-time retail jobs, so if you really want to help me out, I would appreciate it. You can come up to me after the show. Thank you very much.
0: Very good, both of you. Uh, My original topic for them was, uh, who do your parents love more, but I didn't (laughs) didn't go with that. Okay, so the way this is going to work is we're going to have, you're going to be the judge, Okay. Yeah, you are going to determine uh, who gets the loudest applause. Now, you might be wondering, do I applaud the person who made a better argument, or who was funnier? I don't care. Um, (laughs) And uh, the person you think didn't win, you don't not clap, you just clap quieter. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So who believes that the greatest American hero was championed by Chris Wright, Ethan Couch? Greatest American Hero of 2015 was as championed by Dan Reif, Martin Shikreli. Also, thank you. <laughs> Judge? is it, It's
1: Dan. Congratulations, Dan! Sorry for having a harder name to pronounce than weekend Couch. Couch is kind of like.
0: Oh Anyway, leave. I don't have any prizes. I don't have a budget for this show. What do you want? Oh December, December, you were so close. We hosting the skewer. We have to do these little wrap-ups where we gather the dregs of the month that none of our writers covered. Um, Every month, everything is garbage Uh, The world is true barf Uh, And we hope next month can be better And it never is December, though, man It was so close I mean, we had half a month of unseasonably warm weather One of the Earth's last consequence-free benefits of global warming Before the seas rise up and claim Florida And I can hear all your smart-ass comments already about Oh, that sounds like a benefit to me You know what I meant (laughs) <laughs> we got tricked into thinking the winter was going to be a bro but then it's like, <laughs> no, it's cold, it's cold, it's like before, fuck you <laughs> this is a month where Nicolas Cage was in the news for reasons other than tax evasion and being drunk and belligerent in public no, when I hear about Nicolas Cage, I don't want to hear about how is it damaged deeply flawed failure of a man with crippling emotional issues no, if you're like me, someone for whom watching Con Air is like unto a full body orgasm You want all news stories about Nicolas Cage uh, to be about how he's living his life like a deranged alien pharaoh, (laughs) making bonkers-ass decisions based on prophecies squeaked from the flute of a blind god. So imagine my joy when Nicolas Cage was in the news this month for returning a goddamn dinosaur skull a national treasure, if you will, <laughs> uh, to the Mongolian government when it was revealed it was stolen. Come on, December is looking great. Seems great. And then we get Steve Harvey, who since the downfall of Bill Cosby is comedy's premier hypocritical moralizing scold, uh, fucking up literally the only thing the host of a beauty pageant has to do, uh, read the of <laughs> the beauty pageant. Uh, given that Steve has cheated on more than one of his many ex wives, I guess we shouldn't be surprised to hear when he gives his golden prize to the wrong woman. <laughs> but it's still fun news to hear. <laughs> and then we have the news that hoverboards, those little scooter thingies that are most notable uh, for only being arguably aboard, and having their primary function being rolling. <laughs> which you might remember as an action that does not even fucking begin to resemble hovering. <laughs> uh, they, were taken, they were taken off the market for being dangerous. Now usually, I'm all for allowing douchebags to spend large amounts of money to hurt themselves, but I'm even more in favor of taking away their toys. <laughs> but this, this is where December starts to turn because this is where I learned that the company that makes hoverboards is called Swagway. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm smiling. <laughs> they, combined, they combined the world's dumbest vehicle, the Segway, with three years ago's most infuriating slang term. And to know that there is a, mali- a malign intelligence in the same world as me that would willingly name itself Swagway just soured the whole month. Oh, and then, and then, we had that North Carolina town that voted down a solar farm over fear that it would suck up all the sun. <laughs> we had a month with no mass shootings, except that there was one, San Bernardino, and we were in a world with so many mass shootings that I honestly forgot about that one uh, when I wrote the first draft of this. <laughs> we had the New York Times' front- first front-page editorial in years calling for gun control and a major conservative writer's rebuttal was to literally shoot the paper, because he got mad. <laughs> we had a presidential frontrunner honestly advocating for banning Muslims from entering the country. We had no indictments for Sandra Bland's death. We had no indictments for Tamir Rice's death. You might notice that I'm just listing all these and not making any jokes, because how the fuck am I supposed to make that funny? December, why must you remind us that the world is a smoking ruin of cruelty and pain? Why do you tease us with holidays, happiness, and joy only to plunge us back into the slushy bilgewater of reality? But hey, it can't be all bad. The Beatles are on Spotify!
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe John's a preachy, wife beating asshole who wrote a song where he literally tells a woman to run for her life, if you can... But I mean, those albums really held up. Thank you. I don't really know what to do here. I got nothing left. It's over. Show's over. Anyway, that was The Skewer. Thank you all for coming. Thank you very much to all our writers. Cafe Mustache, buy some drinks, donate to the writers. The writers, they should be paid for it because it was great, right? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so if you like the show, you can like us on Facebook. We're The Skewer. Uh, you can come back next month, the first Wednesday of the month, February something or other. I don't remember. It's the first Wednesday. Look it up. Um, next time it will be hosted by my co-producer, Eric Ruel. He could not be here. Let's worn out for him. Not literally, metaphorically. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can uh, come to the live show every first Wednesday of the month at Chicago's Cafe Mustache. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Skewer Chicago. You can find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash the skewer, or email us at skewerchicago at uh, Thanks for listening. See ya.